It was fun this week to be uh, uh, on a flight to Atlanta, uh, turn around, look back, and see Winford there. He uh, said, hey, and it's just good to be back at CRC this morning and to be able to see many more and uh, be able to be a part of uh, this whole Christmas celebration. Um, part of the, this week, the reason why I was headed to Atlanta was um, I was going to be a part of a group of meetings. I happen to serve with an organization. It's a large organization that helps plant churches all across America, and it's called the North American Mission Board. And the headquarters is just outside of Atlanta in Alpharetta. And so they bring all of their staff that it's on site together, usually once every five or six weeks. And this was their big Christmas gathering. And we got to be there for different things. There were, uh, we were kind of the outsiders coming in for this particular, uh, this particular meeting. And so while we were there, we did some, uh, you know, recognizing of some people who had been serving and the, the Christmas decor was everything. And they said, we're going to have some fun today. And I thought, I wonder what that's going to be like. And then they asked us to take a quick break and then to come back in because everything would be set up differently. And when we walked back in, this is what we saw. If you look up on the screen, we had our own Nam family feud. And they had various teams. They had the uh, mobilization team go up against the uh, events team, the finance team go up against uh, the sin relief team. And so they went back and forth. It was, of course, all about Christmas. And it was that whole name, you know, that whole family feud out of 100 people surveyed, you know, top Christmas songs, top Christmas movies. I'm telling you, on the top Christmas movies, forget Miracle on 34th Street, forget White Christmas, forget It's a Wonderful Life, welcome in National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. Um, I mean, I was just totally blown away by the responses. Uh, and so we had our own Nam family food, feud. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. But one of the things that kind of surprised me is in the uh, surveys about the responses to the naming the Christmas characters and the Christmas, the manger scene, what comes to mind first. And uh, only like out of all of the people tabulated, only six thought of Mary, thought of Mary. And I thought it was very fascinating because in our day and time, when you start thinking about Mary, especially at Christmas time, I would think that that would be other than Jesus, baby Jesus, I would think that would be kind of like number two, but it's way on down the list, the mention of her name. And I think if we were to do kind of our own family feud this morning, I think what we would discover, if I were to say, uh, all right, tell me something that you know about Mary, I think all of us might be stumped a little bit. In fact, if we were to kind of toss that question out to say, hey, tell me one thing about Mary that you remember when, it, you, know, when you hear her name mentioned. You might, you might hear some crazy things. You might hear things that you would think, surely nobody would believe that. A few years ago, uh, 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 in a very fascinating human interest story, a woman saw supposedly the face of the Virgin Mary on a grilled cheese sandwich. She put it in a plastic wrapping, and put cotton balls around it for safekeeping, kept it for 10 years, and then decided to sell it on eBay, got, got 1.6 million hits, and ultimately sold it for something like $28,000 to a casino. And maybe, maybe that, you know, th- those kind of apparitions are, maybe you think, maybe you've been with friends, they, they've got that statuette on the, the dashboard, maybe that's what comes to mind when you, when you think of Mary. <laughs> and sure enough, somebody probably, if you were to ask, so tell me what, when you hear the name Mary, what comes to mind? They think, oh, I, I know, uh, November 1984, 
Boston College against Miami. Uh, they're behind. Six seconds left to go. And Doug Flutie uh, throws a 52-yard pass. And later on, they call it a... See, that's what you know, right? That's what you think of when you come to Mary. And unfortunately, this beautiful woman, this beautiful young teenage girl that we're going to talk about this morning, is one who really, when we start looking at her, the real Mary, and get beyond some of the, even the theological conversations and even controversies about who she is, she's absolutely fascinating, and she will allow us to see Jesus Perhaps in a way that uh, we haven't seen Jesus, and it'll be an important one to, to look at this morning. So I'm going to invite you to, to just journey along with me as we're going to go back into the very life of Mary and to watch and travel with her this morning. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and then we're going to jump right into the message this morning. Father, thank you so much for um, seasons like this. Uh, they're like uh, reset buttons. They allow us to go back and get a Uh, a much better point of reference about what it means to know you and to see you. Because it's all revealed through the person of your Son. And the closer we get to Him, the more we see Him, the more we understand you and your uh, your purpose for our lives. And your love for us, your unfailing love, and and your unending hope that you give us through Christ. So this morning, we uh, we want to dive into that uh, conversation and want to listen in and learn from your, uh, the story, the narrative about Mary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I, I want us to take a look, if we can. Uh, again, so much about Mary has been lost along the way, and I don't know what kind of tradition you come back, you come out of. Some people venerate Mary and just kind of really elevate her to a, a very uh, kind of high-level status. And uh, then others really just kind of push Mary off the stage and kind of response to that. So as we start thinking about Mary, I think a lot of times she's been pretty much overlooked, even though we know her as the mother of Jesus, of course. But when you start looking at the real Mary, you begin to realize that she was an ordinary young woman, an ordinary woman, but had an extraordinary call in her life. And that call is a call that is very reflective of her own personal sense of what it means to follow Jesus. And she had her own human struggles just like we do. But when you find the real Mary, you're going to begin to, to, to realize that you have a whole lot in common with her. A whole lot in common with her. And the best place, of course, to begin to understand there is something about Mary is to look at the first Christmas and so we're going to invite you to follow along there, and you'll see the Scripture up on the screen. And, and we, we find the, so much about Mary and the birth of Jesus told to us by Luke, who was a companion of a first century Christ follower by the name of Paul, very historically a medical mind, but he also gleaned from memories that only Mary could tell him, and he writes down with great, great detail what took place on that first Christmas. And so we're indebted to him. So let's look at it, if we can, beginning at verse 26 of Luke 1. You'll see it up on the screen here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel uh, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. A lot of detail here. And as best we understand it, kind of fill in a little bit of the gaps here. When you start talking about Mary, you have to understand that Mary was somewhere probably between the age of 13 and 16. Not much older than that. More likely 13 or 14. 
She was a poor uh, Jewish woman from an obscure Jewish village that we hear here named uh, Nazareth. And she was engaged to be married. Uh, now, one of the things about Mary that I appreciate the scholarship of Scott McKnight, who wrote on this in a, a wonderful little book about Mary, in which he reminds us that Mary was probably what they knew in their day and time as an anawim, an anawim. An anawim in their culture, the Jewish culture, was someone who was looked upon, a woman who was looked upon as a pious one, or a poor one, or a faithful poor person. Uh, the anawim were the financially deprived and depressed. They were the, often the lonely, the, the, the sick, the disabled. In other words, anybody who was characterized as an anawim was someone who was kind of marginalized and pushed to the edge of society. The, they, they were the type of people, the individuals who were the anawim, were the kind of people who needed someone else to come along and help them. They, were, they lived with a sense of constant desperation. And when you start thinking about the Anawim as they're described by some of the cultural findings and studies and the scholastic digging into that particular period of time, you will find out that many times that they would offer up this uh, cry to God out of Psalm 149, uh, asking God to remember the state of the humble. And that was, that was Mary. So when you start thinking about Mary, the real Mary was an Anawim. She, she was the marginalized. She was the one that was the pious poor. She was the one who was so desperate that unless somebody came along, she cried out to God to take care of this one who needed someone to be there for her because there was no one else that could provide any other hope to her. She came from this town of Nazareth. Nazareth, by its, its, its very uh, reputation, had a very solid kind of character about it. It was a place where Roman soldiers would go from a nearby garrison, and it was known simply for its sin and scandalous kind of uh, activities that took place there. So that's where she's from. This marginalized girl, teenage girl, from a, a little obscure town that has a solid reputation, and that's the atmosphere that she grew up in. And then it says that she was a, a virgin, the detail here. And that means that she was sexually pure, that she had been very careful to guard herself in that regard. And for the first time in her life, though, something good begins to happen, according to the Scripture here and the story and the narrative, and that is that she's engaged. Her only way out of being on this marginalized edge of the society and culture was for perhaps somebody to come along and, and, and perhaps find her and take her to be his wife. And, and she did. She found a man, and, and that man found her. And he wasn't a wealthy man, but he was a highly respected man, and his name was Joseph. And so here she was, this first bit of good news in her life, this young, marginalized teenage girl who lived in this very notoriously solid reputation of a town where Roman soldiers would hang out that was full of scandal and sin, you remember years later, somebody, when they heard of Jesus of Nazareth, said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? They had that kind of reputation. That was her hometown. And here was Mary, and now this uh, big kind of uh, turn in her life was that she was about to be married. She, she, she had someone who would rescue her, take her out of all this. And then the angel appears. And uh, in this particular case, only one of two angels that's named in all of the Bible, Gabriel, which means hero of God. And so the angel comes to Mary and, and, uh, 
he announces to her words that people had been waiting to hear for centuries, wondering if it would ever happen, that God was about to enter into history, he was about to send his Messiah. Notice what he says to her in verse 28. Greetings to you, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I don't know exactly how all this happened. We can kind of imagine. Maybe Mary experienced this as a vision at night. Maybe while she was prayerful in meditation, she began to hear the angel's voice. Uh, per- perhaps she was just in a time of prayer. We don't know how. It may have just been a very real physical appearance of the angel. But nonetheless, this was a, a message, this interruption, this greeting, you who are highly favored. Now, Mary knew enough, and we need to remember that anytime an angel, and you, you would have to appreciate this, anytime an angel shows up, it's going to be a life-altering moment. When an angel shows up, it means that your life is about to change, No longer is it going to be a a safe life. No longer is it going to be a life that's normal. From this point on, you are going to have a life that is going to be anything but simple or easy or quite, you know, respectable. Your life is about to be changed. You're going to be taken on quite an adventure. And it's certainly not something that Mary or one of the Anawim would ever think of as far as being something in their life. This would be a a challenge to her to to live a a very demanding, unanticipated, different kind of a life. And I want to pause here for a second. Mary's life, living on the marginalized edges of a culture and society in the scandalous, sullied reputation of a town, an anawim, seeing her life perhaps maybe lifted out of that with the potential of marriage, and then she has this encounter with an angel who says to her, from this particular point on, your life is never going to be the same. It was an interruption, a divine interruption. Um, One of the things about Christmas is that it interrupts the normal flow of life, doesn't it? When Christmas comes, day after Thanksgiving, the adrenaline rush, the speed of life just whoop, ramps up. And we have these interruptions. Our whole schedule kind of gets turned upside down. We have to figure out which in-laws we're supposed to be with this year if we're married. And we have to figure out how, what we're going to have to do to make sure the other parents feel like they got enough time as well as the others. Uh, we're going to have to figure out what to do with friends and family. We're going to do all of that negotiating. during. It's an interrupting time. But Christmas is also a time when when God moves into our lives in a very special way where he interrupts us, and it's very unsettling, and I think that's got to be Mary's first response to all of this. It's a very unsettling time, incredibly unsettling time for her. Um, and when you listen to, listen to her response, verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might mean. I like the way the message version describes and, and kind of conveys to us what the angel really said to Mary. I love this. And for you dads who have daughters, this is a great way to wake up your daughter in the morning. Here's how the message puts this verse. Good morning, you're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. 
God be with you. Can you imagine making up your little girl in the morning and saying, good morning, you're beautiful inside and out with God's beauty. And God's going to be with you all day today. That's what this angelic message was, but Mary's response to it, it was very unsettling. She's trying to figure out what is this going to mean in my life? When God begins to move in your life, when God begins to, to, to speak and interrupt your life, it's going to be very unsettling. And many times the big question in our mind happens to be when God begins to move into our life and speak into our life, it's, I, I wonder what this is going to mean on the, on the other side of this. I wonder what God's up to. I wonder how he's going to change the plans that I have for my life. I wonder how he's going to speak into my life in a way that maybe I'm not wanting to hear. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, there are certain times when I get, you know, certain messages or certain phone calls, and I see the, you know, the name tag come up on my phone, and we have filters, don't we? We have the kind of filters that kind of, yep, I'll pass on that one, right? There are times, I think, when God is bringing voices into our life, His voice. It may not be an audible voice. Sometimes it's louder than that. Because it goes so deep to the heart and you hear God speaking to your heart, maybe speaks through another person and it's interrupting your agenda and your plans. And Mary's response is probably like ours. Our struggle with it is she was overwhelmed with a sense of what? Fear. What is this going to mean? It's going to mean something radically altered in my life and do I really want to hear that? Do I really want to to hear what God has to say for my life? So I just ask you during this Christmas season, as you're thinking about being drawn into the season, look at it as a point in time to where you say, God, what is it that you're wanting to say to me in my life as I look at you and look at your gift of your son and behold him? Uh, It's not terribly uh, comfortable when we have those interruptions, when we know it's God speaking to us about a situation or decision and we hear, and we know it's God. That's what's going on in Mary's life. And what does the angel say to her? Angel says, verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his, or, and he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. Talk about a birth announcement. Uh, Mary, A, you're going to have a baby. B, it's going to be a boy. Three, his name is going to be Jesus. And let me tell you what his destiny is going to be all about. I'm going to tell you up front, this is what's going to happen. He's going to be looked upon as the very essence of God's supernatural sovereign power. He's going to be the one that's going to fill all of the hopes and dreams of the nation of Israel. He's going to be that great, his destiny. And then look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, What do you think? How will this be since I'm a virgin? What was Mary's response? The only response that you could have imagined. How's this going to happen? You know, and it wasn't so much that she was questioning the veracity of what he was saying. It wasn't so much she was saying, I'm not for sure I believe anything that you just told me. As much as Mary was saying, how are you going to pull this off? 
everything that you just told me. You know that I'm a virgin. How is all this going to happen? I'm engaged, yes. But how in the world is this going to happen? How's this going to take place? Mary has the only kind of questions you can ask in moments like this. How can this be? How's this going to take place? Uh, do you ever find yourself laying awake at night looking at a particular situation, a challenge? You're hearing God speak into your life or you're, somebody has been sharing with you perhaps about how that God has an incredible purpose and plan for your life and his love and God is speaking in your life through another person. Do you ever lie awake? Do you ever have those wondering thoughts during the course of the day when you're thinking, how can God change my life? How can all this take place? How can God pull all of this off? And you notice that the angel says here to, to Mary, he says to her, listen, this is going to happen. You will. This is not up for grabs. This is going to take place. Pause for a minute. I know we somehow are familiar with the Christmas story, but you're a teenage girl who's lived on the marginalized edge of culture, living in abject poverty, depending upon God somehow or another to take care of you. You find yourself being lifted out of that because you're engaged, and now your life gets interrupted by someone telling you that you're going to bear within your womb the very life of God. And your life is forever going to be changed in a radical way. Wow. You had to be overwhelmed. And she was, but in that moment, I think there's a, there's a message for all of us. How often do we think that we've got our plans, our agendas, things are supposed to work out in a special way. And the truth of the matter is, God wants to remind you and wants to remind me that life is not something that can be figured out. It's a mystery that I have to trust him with. It's not something that's calculated, that has answers, that has ins and outs. It's not something that I can determine in terms of how things are going to work out. It's something I have to surrender on a regular basis. And what the angel says to Mary, listen to it, and it's very important for us to hear. And the angel answered her, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Here's what he says to her. The same Holy Spirit, if, if you read in the Old Testament scriptures, the early pages of the Bible in Genesis, that hovered over the darkness and the chaos of creation and brought it all into order and brought it into rhythm and purpose. What he's saying is that same Holy Spirit is going to envelop you. And all that is God will supersede all that you are. All that is God will supersede all that you are. When God begins to move in our life and He begins to do the things and call us to do what seemingly is so overwhelming beyond our ability to conceive of it, it's in those moments that God wants to remind us in the same way He did to Mary, all that God is supersedes all that you are. Limitations, etc. Your understanding. All that God is supersedes. It's greater than what you are. And then the angel says, 
gives her a good word of encouragement. He says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, who had been barren all her life, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for. And one of the great verses in all of Scripture. For nothing will be impossible with God. Those are words you need to hold on to. When God interrupts your life, when God says, I've got a plan for your life you don't have, I've got a different agenda for your life, a different place, a different purpose, a different outcome than you have in mind, and it's not something that you can figure out. It's only something that I will be able to accomplish and pull off in your life. That's the moment that Mary was experiencing. Unsettled, confused. You have those moments. How is God going to pull this off? How am I going to live out this life? How am I going to follow His purpose and plan for my life to make this decision, to take that job, to marry that person, to go in this direction, to make that choice? How can I pull this off? And Mary shows us. Watch her response here. She's unsettled and confused, but watch her in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according, be to me according to your word. A very simple translation of this is, God, I'm yours. Uh, do whatever you want. God, I'm yours. Do whatever you want. I, watch this, I choose to want what you want. This is a 13-year-old girl, 14-year-old girl. Life interrupted in a way no one would have ever imagined. And how does Mary respond? Unsettled, confused, and then surrendered. I choose to want what you want. I choose that. She had no advanced knowledge, no heads up that any of this was going to take place. Now, we take Mary's yes for granted here. And I want to spend a little bit of time kind of unpacking this. As I went back through this this week, it was just, uh, I was staggered again by what Mary knew she was saying when she said yes. When Mary said yes, I'm yours, do whatever you want. Do you realize what she was saying? In that day and time in the culture, whenever you got engaged, you went to the local synagogue and it was announced to everyone. It was as if you were married. So for Mary to be told that she, a virgin, would conceive a child while she's engaged to be married, that would immediately put her in the category based upon the Hebraic law of being an adulteress. She would be labeled that immediately. She knew that. What she didn't know was, how would Joseph respond to this? Once again, very fascinating, if you start looking in the Old Testament in the places like Deuteronomy and Numbers, you'll begin to realize that there was a protocol. If a woman was caught in adultery, the accusation was brought before her, it was found to be true, she was stoned to death. So Mary doesn't know what Joseph is going to say. She has no way of 
you know, predicting his response. So when Mary said yes, she knew immediately she would be labeled an adulteress. She knew that she potentially would be stoned to death. And then there was one other process. If, in fact, you were accused of being an adulterer, you would be often brought to Jerusalem where you would be exposed to the entire public. Her veil would be torn with a breast exposed and she would be open to the public humiliation of all the crowds of people who would gather around her before she was stoned to death. Often in their way of trying to figure out whether a person had really committed adultery, there was the, what they described as drinking the bitter waters. They would take dust and they would take uh, sacred water and they would take the ink from the, the priest scrolls writing. They would mix it all together. They would have the woman drink the water and if it caused a miscarriage, she was guilty and she would be stoned to death. Do you understand when Mary said yes, she knew that she would no doubt be causing great damage to her own engaged husband-to-be's reputation. She knew that she would be labeled an adulterer. She knew that she could be publicly humiliated. She knew that she could be divorced. She knew that if she would be separated and not stoned to death, that somehow survive that, the child that would be grown up would be somehow be labeled and would, not, would be looked upon as unholy. Do you understand what Mary was saying when she said yes? That was, that was no small decision that she was making. Labeled, potentially stoned to death, potentially humiliated. Her husband potentially could divorce her. She could be a single mom, left to fend for herself you know, forever, ensconced in, in, in poverty. It's amazing to me, this young teenage girl would say, without, a, without flinching, without hesitation, what would she say? Look at it again. Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's response her faith was incredibly courageous. Uh, the decision was quick. The obedience was complete. She would surrender her life, regardless of all the question potentialities that it would raise. Mary said yes. Pretty amazing, isn't it? This young teenage girl God, I'm open to you. I'm open to your interruption in my life. I want what you want. I'm yours. Is that your response? Whenever you begin to sense God moving in your life, speaking to your heart, calling you into a particular Choice and decision, direction in your life. Sometimes we say yes immediately. 
But then things get a little difficult and we back away. Sometimes it's an emotional response. And I guess maybe the question, and maybe I need to bring it back to, in this way. The question is, perhaps for you in this moment on this Christmas Sunday, where do you need to respond yes, most need to respond yes, to what God is saying to you in your life right now? Where do you need to say yes? To His purpose, a decision, a career shift, a big move, a lifestyle change, a situation and condition condition that that's not your first choice a job job you don't love uh, uh, you're dealing with some realities that you really aren't your own realities that you created but other people created for you and in all of those situations in all those circumstances what is your response god i'm your servant use me in whatever whatever way you need to i'm yours i want what you want i choose to want what you want Amazing. But just before Mary goes back to any sense of moving on with her life, with all this uncertainty, sometimes we think that whenever we say yes to all of these interruptions in our life, that the only thing on the other side of it is going to be a life we really don't want to live. And yet watch Mary's response to all of this. This young teenage girl writes the first Christmas song. Look at it beginning at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is called the Magnificat because the first words of this particular song in the Latin mean magnify. And what Mary was doing here in the midst of all this massive interruption, radical alteration of her life, which with so many unknowns and uncertainties she said yes to, what was on the other side of that surrender? It was this spirit and this sense of absolute outrageous joy. This 13-year-old girl, 14-year-old girl, penned some of the most powerfully revolutionary words that's ever been penned. In fact, E. Stanley Jones has said that this particular, this particular uh, song of Mary is the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. And if you start looking at it very closely, there are more than 30 kind of references that bring in some Old Testament theme. This was a young girl steeped in her belief and her confidence in God. And she cries out, and we don't have time to go through this song, but she cries out with a great sense of how that God, through His grace and mercy, had lifted her up out of this, uh, this state of where she was. And how that God would turn the world upside down, and those people who were in power would, be, would, would, would somehow, they would, they would be turned upside down, and the humble would be exalted, and the hungry would be fed, and all the needs would be met. 
And what Mary was experiencing in that moment was this revelation of God saying to her, the child that you are going to bear is going to change the world. Change lives. Radically alter it. It's a powerful song. It's a beautiful song. I would encourage you to walk through it, read through it. It's, it's revolutionary. But here's how I want to close this morning. You will never be able to take in the wonder and the beauty and the power of all that Jesus is until you come to the place where you get it and you say yes like Mary. Until you welcome and invite His interruptions in your life. Until you realize that your life is not something that you can figure out and calculate and say this is how it's going to be as much as you can place it on the table of surrender and you can say my yes is there do with my life whatever you can I don't maybe not understand it but I know that your supernatural power will overwhelm and overcome what I am it's far greater than I am and I have confidence in you and ultimately I believe that when you do that and I do that you will see Christ in the way as your savior and as your hope as Mary did and your heart and life will be filled with an inner gladness that you can only get through saying yes to Him. That's the real Mary. That's the real Mary. So this Christmas, with all the celebrations and all that you'll be doing and all the places you'll go and the people you'll be with, will there be a quiet enough time where before Him, as you behold Him, where you will say, yes. I like the way Scott McKnight kind of summarizes it. Listen carefully. He says, there are two Marys. One wears a Carolina blue robe, exudes piety from a somber face often holds her baby son in her arms and barely makes eye contact with us. This is the familiar, blessed Virgin Mary, and she leads us to a Christmas celebration of quiet reflection. Another Mary, the blessed Valorious Mary, wears ordinary clothing and exudes hope from a confident face. This Mary utters poetry fit for a political rally goes toe-to-toe with Herod the Great, musters her motherliness to reprimand her Messiah son for dallying at the temple, follows her faith to ask him to address a flagging wine supply at a wedding, and then finds the feast, feastiness to take, feistiness to take her children to Capernaum to rescue Jesus from death threats. This Mary followed Jesus all the way to the cross, not just as a mother, but as a disciple, even after his closest followers deserted him. She leads us to a Christmas marked by a willing yes. That's Mary. So, with Mary, what's your response to that interrupting word message that inevitably is going to come 
and will come again and again and again and again. Will it be? May it be so. I'm your servant. I want and I choose to want what you want. Let's pray together. The most important yes that you can say is the yes to the gift of His grace and His mercy, even as Mary sang about it and composed, that He has noticed your, your state. He's noticed your condition. He's noticed all of our sinful conditions. He extended His grace God entered into this world so that we could see that grace. We could see that grace lived out and then we could see that grace on the cross just as Mary did. And she would recognize that she needed her son to be her Messiah Savior. And so that may be the most important yes you could have today. To say yes. To receive Christ as your Savior. To quietly in the privacy of your own heart to say he has interrupted he's he's made himself known to me i've heard this message again and again i've just not said yes yet i need to say want to say yes right now and in your heart of hearts just to simply quietly say lord i'm yours take my life take all of my brokenness and my sinfulness forgive it change it change me from the inside out i'm turning my life over to you and i accept what you did for me on the cross I want you to come live your life in me. Maybe that's your first yes. For others, there's a yes about taking the next step towards moving into a life that is more fully lived out for Him. You've been kind of holding back. Now it's time to go all in. It's about making a choice that you know that it's very clear where God's calling you to go, a decision, a job, a person, relationship, a circumstance. It's ready. It's your time to say yes. For some, it's a time to be reminded that when He comes to radically alter the plans of our lives, that while it's demanding and difficulty in our life will never be the same, it will be an adventure for which we have to live with all the uncertainties that come with it. We can live with the sense that on the other side of our surrender is incredible inner gladness and joy. And you need to be reminded of that and encouraged of that today on your journey. So Father, um, thank you that we have this beautiful story of Mary at Christmas, young teenage girl who said yes, became a disciple and follower of Christ, and no doubt suffered before the Messiah really suffered for her so that she could be used by you to bring salvation into this world. Not through her, but empowering her by your power to conceive and to bring your son into this world. So thank you, Father, for the salvation we have. 
We behold that. May our yes today be without reservation, without delay. In Jesus' name, amen.